Hello again to Have You Wireless, one of the podcasts of the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. My name is Keith Parsons, and today we're here with Sri. Actually, what's your full name, just so we can hear it? Srikant Subramanian. Which is why I just call him Sri. I just attended a class he has on the evolution of Wi-Fi technology and learned about Wi-Fi 5, 6, 7, and some new things in 8. And I thought we'd have him on the show to talk a little bit about that evolution. It's been taking, what, 20, 25 years now. And there's a, a change of pace. Have, have you noticed this? it feels faster? Yes, definitely, yes. Compared to earlier days, maybe because the adoption was also slower in terms of clients and APs. Now Wi-Fi is as critical as any infrastructure in a home or any indoor setting. So people want things to move on faster, and so you find this cycle moving at a much rapid rate. The improvements are also partially because of throughput, the T and, and VHT and, and, and our new EHT. Correct. Um, it's not always about throughput, though. But I, I think the marketing people like to have that on the box. I think it's it's also easy for them that they just put a number which grows in size, can be put on the sides of boxes or in advertisements. If you talk about efficiency numbers or anything like that, it's going to be difficult for them to you know put that on a box and explain it to a customer. Whereas jumping from 100 meg to one gig is, is so easy. Big numbers. 10x benefits. Yes. So not not we saved eighteen percent in efficiency. Exactly. Tough call. Yeah. Well, let, let's start with Wi-Fi five since it's kind of hard to get Wi-Fi four. And and by the way, for our audience, if you want to talk in eight or eleven speak and AC AX or Wi-Fi numbers, we can do either way. So feel free sure. to talk back and forth. But let let's let's start with Wi-Fi five mm-hmm. improvements over the previous. Mm. And then it, it, pretty decent improvements. Right. I mean, we added some very useful features. Correct. And then moving to Wi-Fi 6, mm-hmm. it, what was that all about? We did very well, as you said. I would, I would include both Wi-Fi 4 and 5 as really a, a pretty good place to be in for the whole industry because one is we brought in MIMO. We also brought in the larger bandwidths, the 40 megahertz and 80 megahertz, wherever they were applicable. And I think Wi-Fi 5, one of the silent contributions has been 5 gigahertz as well. Because if you closely look at 11AC standard, it said you need to support 5 gigahertz. And so everybody jumped on that. In fact, 5 gigahertz only. Yes. Yes. In fact, that was a very big step which people might not realize. But today, most of our data goes through 5 gigahertz. Anything useful probably goes through 5 gigahertz. So we were at a nice space, selling well doing good on numbers front. And so I think in right earnest, the IEEE standard said, let's solve some real world problems, which is, hey, what are the real world problems? It's not throughput anymore because we've got enough numbers to play with. Let's look at efficiency. Let's look at high density Wi-Fi because those are the ones which seem to be causing some headache. So let's try and solve problems there. And they brought in OFDMA in good earnest MU MIMO, maybe not for high density, but at least to solve some multi-user issues. They thought those were genuinely good additions to the standard to help improve Wi-Fi's performance in a variety of contexts. So I think the earnest was pretty and, good. And, and other things like 
TWTs and BSS coloring, they were all efficiency-based. Absolutely, you're correct. I, I didn't focus so much on that because they seem to have you know, a little bit of a sidetrack compared to these two, but you're absolutely right. The spatial reuse based on BSS color, some of the IoT supporting features using, you know, uh, TWT, all these, as you correctly mentioned, we're all saying not higher numbers, but we're going to get better efficiency out of the spectrum and help with lots of deployments, whether be it at the enterprise level or at the home level. So they're all done in good earnest. So now that we've had Wi-Fi 6 for years, what's the effect? Are, th are those actually giving us back the efficiencies that we are after? I had said clearly in the course in a summary slide on real-life happenings in Wi-Fi 6. Personally, I don't think none of these features have made any impact for the efficiency at a ground level. This might sound a little bit controversial, but I think this is the truth, and there is nothing to prove otherwise, except for vendor statements, we don't have concrete proof of some of these really helping in real life. So when you say proof, as in an actual real, real world test with in the field? I Obviously, real world measurements are slightly challenging, but even vendor measurements done in a pretty good experimental setup, which probably captures many of the real life challenges, we really don't have good data which says, hey, uh, OFDMA turned on, helps you gain 20%, 30%, I don't know, whatever that number. A similar story for MUMIMO and a few other features. We really don't have clear, third-party, neutral, covering a lot of bases close to real life. Do we have anything that supports the opposite, as in turning off OFDMA improves and we get less client uh, complaints? I think this I have heard only verbally. Nobody, I think, will want to put this out because it's it's a difficult thing because of the whole market that we are in. Everybody wants something good out of the new standards. Everybody is selling products, saying Wi-Fi 6 improves life. So nobody is coming out with that. But some of the verbal stories that I keep hearing is, it's easier to manage customer compliance by turning some of the new age features off in real life deployments. And hopefully your vendor supports individual instead of just saying no Wi-Fi 6 features, you can turn off them individually rather than as group. You've been around for a long time and some of the, I mean, we're up to what, 807BM? BN, right? BN, yeah, yeah. Wi-Fi 8 will be called 11BN standard. And so, so we finished all of the numbers plus the A's, and now we're gone through most of the B's. But a couple of uh, amendments, K, V, R, they've been around, I mean, if you just look at their letter, they've been around a long time. Right. So just pick one. Let's pick V. Yeah. How is, how is V helping us today? V has so many features that they thought might be useful for managing wireless LAN. That was the broad ambit. If you look at some of those which have trickled down into the field, BSS transition management has been the one which has been most prominent. But has it been the most easy to implement? I would say it's not worked as smoothly as we expected. We also have the multi-BSS information element which originally happened there again has had a 
checkered sort of uh, life in practice. Maybe some of this might work well in 6 gigahertz where we have a slightly new ground to play with compared to 2.4 and 5. Uh, at least I can think of these two features in 11V. As I said, there are tons of things in 11V. And so in 11K, out of which we have the neighbor report, which I think generally is much more well accepted and supported. But then there are beacon reports, there are lots of measurements. Those things have not been harnessed as well as the very few features that we hear in 11K and V, which has trickled down into real life products. Let's see how, how far back your memory goes. How about 11F? I don't even remember. It was uh, something to do with Spectrum or uh, some other. No, it, was, it was, can we share, can you put an Aruba AP on a Cisco controller? So it was the interaxis, interaxis point protocol. Point, yeah. Okay, now I thought yeah, it, it, that. it definitely got deprecated. Yeah, so. yeah. But, IAPP, but, as it used to be called. But yeah. it's, it, the reason I brought that up is F's pretty close to K. These have been around a long time, mm -hmm. and we're finally using them as, as they were meant to be used. Same with W, that we're getting around to using yeah. W now. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like... Must be close to those days of single digit, single alphabet yes, that extensions. Was long, 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 yes. long time ago. Yeah. So in, in let's, let's move on from 6, just Wi-Fi 6, to, and I'm not going to complain about the name, 6E, mm -hmm. which it would have been really good if they started with 5, and then <laughs> we could have added 6 as 6E, but not enough on that. What were there some of the new things that happened when we get to six gigahertz? You told a story in class, and I think you could repeat it here, of why we're not 100% legacy-free in six. It, we had an opportunity. We, we have 1,200 megahertz of new spectrum. We don't need to be backward compatible because no client, no AP in the new six gigahertz has to be backward compatible. Why are we still backward compatible? Yeah. So six gigahertz comes out of chipsets, which typically are also made with 5 gigahertz and 2.4, all, you know, the, the silicon, whether it's on the AP side or the client side, you know, they have a silicon which has 2.4, 5 and 6 gigahertz support. If you look at the way Wi-Fi is made with a very low cost uh, implementation, the baseband processing logic in many of the parts is common. And that's that's one of the secrets to making it cheaper across the multiple bands. So what has happened is that the OFTM-based PPDU structure, which has a legacy preamble and a legacy header, stays the same across 2.4 and 5. In 6 gigahertz, if you wanted to make get rid of that, you needed a different processing logic just for that band. Now that's going to add something, especially on the client side, remember that, Many clients might have multiple band support, but really one single radio operational, where they are using the same baseband behind to support the multiple radios. It would have been very difficult for them to manage with, you know, different PPDU structures in different bands. The second is 11AX was not just made for 6 gigahertz. So now you'll have to come out and specify 11AX in 6 gigahertz has a different PPDU structure and in 2.4 and 5, it has a different PPDU structure. Complicates life a lot. But it but could have been so nice. We could have had, we could have got rid of the legacy part. Part of, part of the issue, and, and when people complain, the difference between Wi-Fi and 5G, and I'm not into that 
versus, I think they're complementary, that it's the deterministicness of cellular. And we, we lose that with, when you go to Wi-Fi, it's like, oh, is it my turn to talk yet? And, and, and then we have to have the entire legacy support of, well, that means I have to wait. So a lot of the features of OFDMA, when there's timing, we lose because you still have to wait. And even things like, oh, do we want to be able to have a sounding frame that comes back? Well, by the time the client wins a slot to transmit, why don't they just transmit data rather than transmitting their beamforming information? And that could go away if we had tighter control on the time. But we don't. And yeah. it's good. It's, I understand the reasoning behind it. It was just a chance to get rid of that. And yeah, the, the other thing which happened, you know, due to the timelines was that the 11AX PPDU formats were fixed by the time we got to know that six gigahertz was likely to happen around the time frames it happened. So it's very, this whole ecosystem is built on first finalizing the PPDU, then the chipset vendors go back and design for that while the Mac protocol gets harnessed and finalized. So it's it's not easy to go back on these things. It, it might sound easy saying, oh, in paper you go and fix that, but these guys have committed to something in silicon and then there's a whole ecosystem helping them test it. So it's a pretty complex thing happening in the background, which finally makes this uh, whole ecosystem come out in reasonable cost and so on. If we tamper with that, the consequences are, you know, a higher cost, a failure of the whole thing, etc. And we must understand, it's not that the 802.11 ecosystem did not try a greenfield PPDU earlier. They tried in 11N. It did not work for a variety of reasons. So there was some lessons learned about going to a greenfield PPDU vis-a-vis retaining the same PPDU structure, which, you know, for, you know, lose some efficiency, but get everything working across the bands in the same way. And and I think that's been part of what's behind Wi-Fi from the very beginning. It's, and people, like, it's not a good steward of spectrum. It's pretty wasteful. It has a lot of overhead that doesn't need to be there. But the lack of control also allowed it to grow. And uh, I, was, I was talking to Klaus earlier literally changed GDPs of countries. Absolutely. I think I have no doubt. I think Wi-Fi Alliance has very good numbers on those. And I definitely, whenever I get into a debate with the cellular community, I have considerable business in the cellular side. Uh, I don't have a technology battle between them. They they have their places. But we must understand that this, this these cannot be compared. And Wi-Fi has a very significant role to play in our personal, professional, and maybe other segments as well. And that should not be ignored. And just just to point out, Wi-Fi might appear to be wasteful from a lot of perspective, but knowing cellular and the complexity in engineering a deployment to get the best numbers as portrayed in some numbers of efficiency is non-trivial task. And I can tell you that you cannot do it like a Wi-Fi deployment. The, just the sheer number of parameters that you need to configure just on the radio side is mind-boggling. And if you get something wrong, you are nowhere near the efficiency numbers that are portrayed in some comparisons. 
in Wi-Fi, you don't have to do as much. So my, we have to be careful. My parents could go to the local store, buy Wi-Fi and turn it on. and Absolutely. And watch their Netflix show. Absolutely. That's not going to happen in a cellular. Oh, I mean, I've been through some details of cellular. To me, it just appears like a... I mean, these comparisons of numbers in efficiency are for as if you had a genie which optimized the cellular system in terms of parameters and you compare with a Wi-Fi which is deployed by, let's say, your mom and dad. This is not fair comparison, in my opinion. I think we know that they have their places and I'm not debating the usefulness of either. But I think asking Wi-Fi to do as well as cellular is, you know, yeah, I, I don't think you find any Wi-Fi person saying Wi-Fi versus cellular because we know from our side there's no way we can make Wi-Fi work in a car or driving or or outdoor. Absolutely. But sometimes I think cellular people think they could make theirs work indoor. This is also very, and especially in this day and age when energy consumption is uh, such a big topic, I think it's frivolous on the part of cellular industry to put a base station outside and blast through concretes and all kinds of structures. I think the whole industry for the good of the planet, I think we should think what is good for us if you are sitting in this room and want to consume internet, it's better to connect to an access point which is just above my head or on a desk rather than talking to a tower which might be one kilometer away and that to doing it in millimeter wave. And the you know, the amount of power that to, to push a millimeter wave through a concrete wall, yeah, not, not, not really going to be happening. Yes, and definitely not good for the earth. Or, or, or the people who live near it. Exactly. <laughs> All things considered, I think. So Wi-Fi 6E, yeah. and we now have this massive amount of, well, some of us. In North America, we have 1,200 megahertz. In Europe, we have 500 megahertz, which is still great. Not as good as it could be. What about the rest of the world? You, you're from India. Correct. What's, what's the six gigahertz look like in the Indian ecosystem? Looks bad. <laughs> Simply because I narrated a story in the, in the class that uh, many countries, and I think I know India better, that's, that's why I'm uh, narrating the example. It's so political in the sense that, you know, uh, the governments treat the spectrum as some kind of a money bag. And... That's not the way it should be because the economic potential through unlicensed technologies like Wi-Fi, and I, I would not even stop with Wi-Fi. I say, look at Bluetooth. All of us use Bluetooth, and that ecosystem is also important. Maybe a thread ecosystem tomorrow will bring uh, another set of you know applications, etc. They should be considered for the economic value they bring to the table as well. And unfortunately, the governments look at how much cash they can get out of Spectrum. And today I can say that the operators have just put their eyes on the six gigahertz spectrum. And I don't know whether we will even get the 500 megahertz uh, that Europe got, which was lucky. I hope we get at least that, but I have very little hope for anything about that. Is there, is there any pressure on a local government, a local regulatory agency to say we need to be harmonized with the rest of the world? Two, four, five gig, five gig took us almost a decade to almost. get harmonized. Yes, correct. Is is that history and putting any pressure on regulatory bodies today? It does a little bit, but I think the money equation is, you know, putting a completely asymmetric pressure. Harmonization, etc., is fine, but if you can solve budget problems by bringing in cash, 
I think there's no brainer as to where which side they'll have to lean towards. So it's a very asymmetric sort of contestants for the uh, you know uh, the, the people spectrum. saying we want to use it for free and we'll somehow make our economy stronger versus here's a couple billion exactly yeah yeah and for that much spectruming it's more than a couple billion oh i think the, i don't i forget how many zeros but it's not just that i feel that somehow the cellular industry has portrayed itself to be a savior of the communication in in, in providing the communication needs for rural people and so on this is somehow wi-fi industry as a whole though wi-fi lens has tried a lot and done that somehow cellular wins the perception battle in as if they provide the connection to the remote person sitting in a village 5g doesn't solve their communication needs 2g's pretty 2G's much is all for they them. need but all it, they need but, but you know what but the having story a lot is. of spectrum for for not for free but available they would use it in the cities more than they would in rural oh, anyway. Absolutely. But it's just that they can sell as if a telehealth application in a rural area through 5G solves a completely different problem which might have political resonance. And ergo, it's one is the money, that's the big winner, but then the political resonance of an application like a rural uh, health uh, problem being solved or some such catchy application being solved by using 5G, that also has to be taken into account. And I think the cellular folks do a wonderful job of portraying all those cheesy situations for politicians to grab well, and Well, run. if you look at any of the statistics from from rural or third world countries, Africa, where people have a cell phone before they have electricity in their house. Exactly. It would be similar in India. You see the cell phone penetration quite strong. And so people understand cell phones a lot. And if somebody can create some situation as to what your next cell phone can do, then people will buy in. So there is a political buy-in that cell phones can solve certain problems which are politically more sellable than a Wi-Fi system. And Wi-Fi will always require some sort of backhaul. Exactly. And the cellular is the backhaul. Can from, be in some. Yeah, in, in yes. the way they design it. Yeah. So moving on from Wi-Fi 6E to Wi-Fi 7, what are the new things we can see in Wi-Fi 7? I think the top draw will be MLO because, you know, I think the other things are a little bit of an incremental one. So I'll start with this. I think MLO with its steering load balancing and aggregation capability, if done right, again, that's a big question, if done right, can give us some benefits from both putting bigger numbers on boxes as well as maybe solving congestion and traffic balancing on bands, etc. Like other things, do you see this starting in the home market? I think that's where usually many of Wi-Fi generations have started putting out. But what I have seen of late is a gap closing between the enterprise release of the, the say, latest gen and the home because the chipsets are practically the same for going into both boxes and products. And so it so happens that they are getting closer. The only thing is the enterprise benefits have to be kind of, uh, you know, spelt out a little bit more in detail for the enterprise people to buy in and deploy because they're not just deploying one AP, right? They're deploying hundreds of APs, maybe across sites. So it's a bigger, you know, that the process is much longer and the product benefits have to be spelt out, you know, much more elaborately than in the retail. So definitely retail is. Do you, do you think the MLO benefits, say, with a 
mesh in a home would would pay off? Or they can work out the details there. Yeah, I think that could be one of the areas where we might find that uh, MLO starts to play a role because the backhaul uh, is a crucial part of the end performance that people obtain in the home. And they're always looking for doing something more interesting and uh, so on. And I think MLO aggregation is a right uh, fit for that particular backhaul because you have AP, AP radios, which can afford putting those in, afford the power, and they're a stable product. They're not moving around. So the links are stable. So you don't need to do a lot of jugglery. So I, it looks like it's a good fit for that particular link, definitely, apart from, of course, client to AP, et cetera. Well, I have one final question for you, Sri. And I'm going to have you put on your, your guessing hat. When do you think we'll have Wi-Fi 7 out in the enterprise? And then how about Wi-Fi 8? <laughs> so first Wi-Fi 7, right? I, have, I think I publicly mentioned that I think 2024, we will see some enterprise vendors, you know, introducing because I think there's way too much pressure in people asking, when is Wi-Fi 7 coming? I think more than the actual need, I think it's to probably uh, sort of make sure that they don't get lost by some other person coming up. But I, I really look at 2025 as probably the most crucial year for Wi-Fi 7 in the enterprise because by 2024, I think we should have you know, the, the certification program well rolled out and we should also have stability in products, which is what is desirable for enterprise. So 2025 would be my bet for slightly more mature products. But as I said, you can start seeing some in 2024, maybe second half. And Wi-Fi wi 8. Wi 8. <laughs> uh -huh, that's a good question. So as you know, the official standards track runs up to 2028 but you never wait for those things, especially on the consumer retail segments. There are two aspects to this which can accelerate. One is if, uh, for example, the 60 gigahertz sidetrack becomes interesting, you might have somebody jumping on to Wi-Fi 8 and add the 60 gigahertz as an additional radio that could you know, have something uh, interesting for certain segments of the market. But Normal course of things in Wi-Fi 8, you know, you would have to just guess that something around 2028 might be a good time. The standards will get stretched out longer. They usually plan, but they usually get delayed a bit. But products usually start coming a little earlier. So expect somewhere in 2028, a little earlier for those fast guys coming up. Well, thanks for your deep dive into all things Wi-Fi 5, 6, 7, and even touched on 8. This has been another episode of Heavy Wireless. My name is Keith Parsons, and this has been part of the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. We look forward to talking to you on the next episode. Thank you, Keith.